0: Uh, kid me before the service. He was going to pile books and everything up here before I got up here. Good morning. Um, I'm very honored to be here this morning. Um, As you may have already heard, Jeremy's very sick, and so I'm honored to, uh, I guess they say, uh, pinch hit or uh, they've cleared the bench or something like that this morning. But in seminary, they said, uh, be ready to preach, pray, marry, or bury at the moment of a hat, so I'm uh, as, as ready as I could be, and especially on two hours sleep. So anyway, uh, let me pray with you this morning uh, one more time. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning, and we thank you for your word, and we, we know that you've promised that it would not return to you void, empty, without accomplishing the purpose for which you have sent it, and so we pray for your blessing on, on your word. And we also pray for the rest of the service. Uh, We will still be lifting up our voices to you in praise and our uh, Sunday school program afterwards and the the second service, Father. We lift that up to you. Uh, Certainly we pray for Pastor Jeremy. We lift him up to you and pray that you lay your healing hand upon him so that he might be able to return to what we know he loves so much. And we are honoring our uh, veterans and we are so very grateful for them, the sacrifice that they have made. And we know that uh, soldiers are held in high esteem in the scriptures and we just thank you for them and pray for them. Pray for our troops all over the world. Father, we also uh, pray for our nation. We are a nation uh, in uh, very steep spiritual decline. We are... uh, We are in spiritual trouble. And we know the only solution is the Lord Jesus. And so we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit, border to border and coast to coast. Uh, Jesus himself has said, Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my load is easy and my burden is light. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. How many here have ever taken a test? (laughs) It looks like most, if not all, hands went up. And perhaps the very first thing that came to your mind was that algebra or geometry test back in high school. Um, You know, for a doctor, they might be thinking about anatomy. Or uh, you know, a lawyer might be thinking about the bar. Uh, we've all had to take academic tests. Uh, uh, there aren't just uh, academic tests. There are other types of tests as well. Around here at Calvary, it seems like I'm always talking to someone who has uh, is waiting for uh, a test from their doctor. Test results. Uh, we even have one fella here that. Uh, found out that the the, uh, hospital lost his test results. He had a very serious set of uh, tests and the hospital lost those test results. You even have to take a test to get a driver's license, right? And I know uh, I flunked mine uh, twice. It took me three tries to get my driver's license. And uh, you only have to ask Larry and Deb Reynolds about my driving ability. But uh, I've noticed they don't—they don't park right next to me anymore. So if I offer you a ride in my truck, you might want to consider alternate transportation. So, but the Bible has a lot to say about a different kind of a test, uh, spiritual tests. And uh, Nathan just read that, that passage from First Peter, also First Peter 4:12. Do not be surprised at this fiery ordeal that comes upon you for your testing. Uh, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Uh, It's uh, kind of standard equipment. You you know, when you go to buy a a car, you know, they'll have options. Well, testing for the believer is not an option. It's standard equipment. And in fact, uh, to respond properly to testing, our faith grows. Uh, Our faith is like a muscle. And the way a muscle grows, you, you have to exercise it, right? And so uh, that's how we uh, grow spiritually, is through testing. Uh, No pain, no gain, and that's especially true in spiritual growth. Well, we can learn a lot about testing from Abraham. Abraham is uh, used as a great example of faith in the Bible, uh, but he didn't get there overnight. From his uh, call out of uh, Mesopotamia in chapter 12 of Genesis... Uh, all the way through the birth of Isaac in chapter 21, uh, Abraham is constantly tested. And there's a lot of growth there. Now, sometimes he failed, as you may know. But uh, Abraham's a major character in the Bible in general. But in in Genesis, 13 chapters are actually devoted to the life of Abraham. So basically, one-fourth of the book of Genesis, which is quite amazing considering all the other themes in Genesis, like the creation, the, the fall, the flood, um, the, the birth and uh, development of the nation of Israel. And there you have Abraham, front and center. So, um, So anyway, all the way through chapter 21, the birth of Isaac, and then we get to chapter 22 of Genesis, which is where we're going to be this morning. And... <clears throat> This is what I call the greatest test. This is the the final test to see, uh, you know, to test Abraham, to see the maturity of his faith. And uh, I call it the greatest test because not just of Abraham, but I cannot conceive of a greater test that the Lord would ask of anyone. in fact, this is my favorite chapter in the Old Testament. So let's look at the conditions of the ch- the test in verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. So I guess Abraham thought maybe the Lord didn't know where he was. You know, over here, here I am. So I still remember reading this for the first time as a young believer, just a new believer, and I was reading through the Bible for the very first time. And I come upon Genesis 22. And then when I read in here in verse 2, I had to keep rereading it. And I said to myself, say, what? The Lord asked Abraham to do what? And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So there's two instructions here. One is to go to Mount Moriah um, and then offer Isaac as a burnt offering. Um, And by the way, technically it doesn't say kill, but offer. But at this point, it was uh, Abraham's understanding that he was going to have to uh, offer Isaac as a human sacrifice. And of course, Abraham's neighbors... Did that? They, would, they performed human sacrifice. So this might not have been surprising to Abraham. But uh, as we'll see later, uh, his faith carried him through this. So, okay, the trip to the place of the test, verses 3 through 8, and says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Well, let's stop right there because two things are conspicuous by their absence. They're not in the text. Number one, I don't see any argument from Abraham. If if you'll recall, Moses argued with God about his call. Jeremiah argued with God about his call. Uh, but not, I, not Abraham. I have an only son. Adam used to go to church here years ago. Of course, he lives in Colorado now. Um, but I, I think I would argue with the Lord. You know, <laughs> not that you win those arguments, but... Uh, but Abraham's faith in the Lord was implicit, and there's a second thing conspicuous by its absence. Uh, the text doesn't tell us whether Abraham told Sarah what he was going to do. I mean, I mean, how could he have broken it to her? What what could he have said? Something like, uh, "Hey, Sarah, honey, I th- think I'll take Isaac and some of the boys and go camp out up on Mount Moriah." Sacrifice Isaac, love you, bye. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know how she would have responded to that, though. Something like, uh, oh, there's going to be a sacrifice, Abraham, but I don't think, you know, it's not going to be Isaac. So, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he didn't tell her. The uh, text doesn't really say, but, uh, but I, I don't think he did. Okay, uh, the rest of verse 3. Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Now, Abraham was traveling from Beersheba, which means well of the seven. And he, uh, it took him three days to get there. And that's about 50 miles and you might think, well, well, that's a pretty slow donkey. But remember, by, at this point, Abraham was probably 110 years old. He's not a young man, so that's a pretty good pace for a guy that age, I think. So, and uh, long time for Abraham to think. So I, I doubt if he slept at all. Um, I, I don't think I would have. And remember that all of Abraham's hopes and dreams are wrapped up in Isaac, not to mention his affection. He had already sent Ishmael away. So if Isaac dies before he has children, there shall be no descendants. Remember the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that God had made to Abraham that he'd have a great name, great nation, great land, and great spiritual blessings. Uh, That required Isaac to have descendants. Which, as you well know, he, he eventually did. So there's a lot at stake here. His his son, his only son. Uh, Verse five. And Abraham said to his young men, "Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you." Notice what Abraham told the young men. Uh, He said yonder. So maybe this is they're from southern Israel. So, I I spent a lot of my life down south, and that's one of they'd say, "Well, let's go yonder." So, I don't know why the, the translators use that but it's it's good we will worship and return so remember that for a little later in the text Uh, verse 6 and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took in his hand the fire and the knife knife so the two of them walked on together so now it's just Abraham and Isaac walking alone together climbing Mount Moriah and reminds me a little uh, I'm a J.R. Tolkien fan, uh, I actually took uh, a course on C.S. Lewis in uh, seminary, and those guys were, were buddies, so kind of reminded me of Frodo Baggins, his uh, climb up Mount Mordor, uh, um, but of course that was fantasy, whereas this was very real to Abraham. This, this is historical fact. It uh, really took place. So imagine the burden on Abraham... By now, Not just the equipment for the sacrifice, but the emotional burden on his shoulders. Verses 7 and 8. And Isaac spoke to Abraham and his father and said, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. So notice the submission of Isaac. Uh, like an innocent lamb, um, and Abraham did not want to burden Isaac any more than necessary. Um, and one of the many names for God appears here. Uh, the translators say God will provide or the Lord will provide. Uh, it's YHWH or Yahweh or you may have heard the old uh, German pronunciation Jehovah Jireh. If you've heard that, that's just a you know that's how the Germans pronounce it. But uh, that's a good name to remember. That's a good application for us today, especially when we're struggling. God will provide, and we'll see. He certainly does, big time. Um, so, But this is a sign of Abraham's already mature faith. You know, he's arrived in terms of the maturity of his faith because um, he already knows that the Lord's going to provide. Okay, verse 9 Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And so, you know, at this point, Abraham's passed the test. He's done what has been asked of him. um, And he implicitly trusts the Lord. God himself was the most important thing in Abraham's life. And had it been me, I would have made sure this knife would have been uh, freshly sharpened. I would have used both hands to steady my aim because you would, you would want your son, your only son, to not suffer any more than necessary. So, And in fact, Abraham being a devout believer... Uh, over his long lifetime probably sacrificed hundreds if not thousands of animals and perhaps he had used this very same knife before i don't know verse 11 but the angel of the lord called to him from heaven and said abraham abraham and he said here i am and i can imagine abraham at this point uh, Either he was very relieved at having the interruption, uh, or maybe he was hoping for new instructions, and of course he got just that. He got some new instructions. The angel of the Lord, by the way, was actually the pre-incarnate Christ. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's an actual actual appearance of the Lord Jesus uh, before His incarnation. And we know that, from uh, the text here in a couple of verses. And also, uh, Genesis 16, uh, Judges 13, uh, interchange angel of the Lord with God or Lord. Okay, verse uh, verse 13, and he said, this is still the angel of the Lord, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you, have, you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me and so uh abraham uh was right to call the lord uh yahweh here the angel of the lord hands out a report card to abraham on his faith he gets an a plus you remember report cards (laughs) i think they still use report cards don't they maybe they do that electronically i don't know but uh Abraham gets an A-plus on his report card, his faith report card. Verse 13, Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. So, um, the Lord did provide. Yehweh or Yahweh Yirah And he certainly did. The Lord provided a substitutionary sacrifice. Notice this ram was offered up in the place of Isaac. Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And notice he says this day. Well, that's the editorial comment from Moses. Remember, Moses wrote this probably the mid 15th century B.C. And so, you know, this, this event took place between seven and 800 years before that. So, isn't that amazing? Ancient literature that is still so relevant for today. More up-to-date than tomorrow's newspaper, as a matter of fact. So, uh, verses 15 and 16. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. See that? He promised them he would return to them in verse 5. He said, we will return both he and Isaac returned just like he promised. And they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So again uh, we see in verse 16 uh, the angel of the Lord is called Lord. See it says declares the Lord and the Abrahamic covenant is repeated again. The Abrahamic covenant is still in effect today and that promise of a great name and great nation and a great land for Abraham, and then in you all the and great spiritual blessings. And we, of course, uh, inherit those parts of the Abrahamic covenant, unless you're Jewish, of course. But then there's the rest of the story. Some of you remember Paul Harvey, right? And he'd get to a he was just a, a master. Uh, I loved listening to him. Uh, I wish we had him around today. But he he would get to a point and he'd say. And when we come back, the rest of the story. Well, that's certainly true in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, there's something going on here, even more important than Abraham's test of faith, uh, the rest of the story. And this is a theme that runs not just through Genesis, but through all of the Old Testament. And the old Bible teachers used to call it the scarlet thread. Uh, all through the old testament there are prophecies and pictures of the coming redeemer fulfilled in christ but you don't have to take my my word for it if you turn to hebrews chapter 11 we'll see that he, the author to the hebrews actually commented on this text chapter 11 verse 17 by faith abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Now, this translates a word, uh, now my uh, translation actually adds son here, it's italicized, uh, which uh, means it's not actually an original, It it just says only begotten, or monogenes. Well, monogenes is not a terribly common word in the New Testament. Uh, but you already know where else it's used, right? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his monogonese huion that we should not perish but have eternal life. So the very same word is used there. Now, verse 18. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. And we see here, of course, uh, Isaac. that The bloodline went through Isaac and not Ishmael. And also, um, it says, uh, you know, Abraham, one of his, his thoughts was that God could raise Isaac back up. Even after being sacrificed, he could be resurrected. But notice what he calls this. He calls this a type. And uh, in the Old Testament, there's something called prophetic typology. And a prophetic type uh, is a person, place, or thing in the Old Testament. And it corresponds to some features to something future. In this case, the offering of Isaac, Abraham's monogonase, corresponds in a Germanic fashion to God offering up His only Son. His only begotten Son. Abraham was a prophetic type of God the Father. Isaac was a prophetic type of God the Son. And of course, there are some other um, prophetic types in the text. Uh, Of course, Mount Moriah, you may know. The uh, uh, temple was built upon that. And the temple, uh, those sacrifices of which also prefigured what Christ would do one day. And in a once-for-all sacrifice, on a hill not far away, <laughs> uh, Golgotha, or Mount Calvary, after which this uh, this church is named. Now, I'd like to read to you an account. You've probably heard this story before. It took place in the in 30s. A man named John Griffin, who worked as a controller of a huge railroad bridge across the Mississippi River. Every day at certain scheduled times, the huge bridge was raised so that the barges and other ships might make their way down the river and according to a schedule, John would lower the bridge so that the freight and passenger trains could rush across. In the summer of 1937, John Griffith took his then eight-year-old son with him to work for the first time. The boy was excited to watch the big railroad bridge and the trains and boats and also to see the control house with all kinds of levers over which his daddy had absolute control. His father took him to an observation deck so that he could watch the boats and trains go by. At noon, John put the bridge up to let some ships go by since there would not be a train coming for a while. He made his way to the observation deck where the two of them had lunch. Just as John was telling a long story about the trains and boats, he was startled by the shrieking of a train whistle in the distance. He quickly looked at his watch and noticed that it was 107. In the midst of his telling, he had forgotten that the passenger train, the express for Memphis, with 400 passengers on board, would soon be roaring across the bridge. Without panic, but very quickly, he leaped from the observation deck and ran back to the control tower. He placed his hand upon the massive iron controls and started to close the bridge. But before pulling the lever, he glanced down beneath the bridge to see if there were any ships beneath it. There, a sight caught his eye that nearly made his heart stop. His son had slipped from the observation deck and had fallen into the huge gears that operate the bridge. Though the boy was still alive and conscious, his left leg was caught in the cogs of the main gears. John knew that if he pulled that lever, his son would be crushed. And so he only had a split second to think, because if he went back to the observation tower, got a rope and lowered himself down to get his son... uh, then he wouldn't have time to get back and through the lever and those 400 pain, train passengers would perish. But you know what he did. He went ahead and threw the lever and lowered the bridge and the train passengers went across safely. They were saved because he sacrificed his son, his only son. So, so if if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision to place your faith in in Christ. I think I know everyone here. But just in case you haven't placed your faith in Christ yet, imagine that a God that would sacrifice His only Son, just like John Griffith sacrificed His. He is worthy of complete, unswerving faith. Or perhaps... um, you know, you've got your own personal tests going on. I think we're being tested as a nation. That's kind of a a, a community test. But you may have some tests of your own going on. Uh, how would you how would you uh, fill out your report card on your test? How are you doing? And just between you and the Lord, uh, or uh, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not really going through much of a test right now. So I would say, stay tuned. James wrote, uh, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. He doesn't say (laughs) if. So I'm sure that there's a a specially designed uh, test for you just right around the corner. And so uh, I'm out of time there, but let me pray with you and we will uh, close in uh, song. Father, we just uh, thank you again for this time and. Uh, for a Redeemer about what, whom we're going to sing here in a minute, we just thank You that You have given us the Lord Jesus at absolutely free to us, but at great cost to You in sacrificing Your Son, Your only Son. And so uh, we thank You and praise You in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Lance. I'll have you stand for our last song, There Is a Redeemer.